Everyone has a dream. To do more, be more, accomplish more, to make a difference, to leave a mark, to build a legacy. But building a business, a brand, from a dream or an idea can be such a daunting task. Thousands of businesses start up each year, but few actually last the test of time and succeed. Why is that? Well, those who push through the ceiling are those who believe in the power of their dreams. Your thoughts and beliefs will drive your actions and your actions will drive the results you wish to achieve. Sometimes we are our own worst enemy. We get in the way. This podcast is about changing the way you think and believe about business startups, brand building, and achieving your dreams. My name is Bert Koppel. I'm a successful entrepreneur and business owner inviting you to go on a journey with me as I start up a new business concept from the ground floor. You can learn with me as I make mistakes, discover new and better ways to grow, and watch me work my tail off to build a brand. It won't be easy, but together we can make dreams come true. The future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. Are you ready? Welcome. This is Building the Brand. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. This is Bert Koppel, Building the Brand. And I am so excited to have uh, an awesome guest uh, joining us on the podcast today. Paul Hogan is the founder uh, former CEO and president of Home Instead Senior Care that was started in Omaha, Nebraska. And he's going to share with us today why he went into home care, how he started to build that brand from the ground up to eventually become, without a doubt, the largest home care brand in the world. It's such an awesome story. And so we're very excited to have him joining us today. He's also uh, an instructor, a teacher at the University of Nebraska, teaching a class on entrepreneurship. Uh, Paul, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's great having you with us. Yeah, it's great to be here, Bert. Thank you. Absolutely. So, Paul, walk us through a little bit. Uh, you know, back when you were getting ready to start Home Instead in the, in the mid-90s, can you walk through the process of of what you were doing in your life and what made you decide to, to go into the home care space? Well, I guess it would start for me, Bert, back in uh, college when I had a real long-term desire to be in my own business eventually. And I learned about uh, franchising. And I actually took a course in franchising at the University of Nebraska. It was one of the few universities that taught anything about franchising. Uh, and uh, through that experience, I uh, I learned that, you know, if you buy a franchise, you're 95%, you have a 95% chance of success. <clears throat> if you start a business from scratch that is not a franchise, it's just independent, you have a 95% chance of failure. <laughs> wow, jeez. And, and so that's what really lit my fire for franchising. I then... The idea about home care came kind of from, a, I'd say, a triple convergence of uh, uh, my first job out of college was with a company called Merry Maids, which was a, out of Omaha, and it was a franchise organization. The founder started in Omaha and then franchised it to become the leading home uh, cleaning service in the nation with about 300-some franchises. Uh, and... Uh, so I learned home services. I learned franchising. 
And then that collided also with my the story of my grandmother. We were my mom was, uh, well, my grandmother was she was like eighty eight, lived right down the street from us. She got so weak she couldn't get out of her own chair anymore, and it looked completely like a she was you know in a hospice uh, candidate. Right. And my mom, she got the big family together, and they agreed on two things. First was there was going to be no nursing home. Uh, for my grandmother, mm-hmm. and then she, second thing was, she had volunteered her home, volunteered her home for grandma to move up the street to live with her, and we would all chip in and help grandma become, you know, be comfortable for that last little while. Uh, and what happened was my <laughs> that last little while turned into eleven years. Wow! Yeah, and, and my grandmother lived a a whole another decade of relative independence. So we saw firsthand what you could do for a senior, what a person could do for a senior. And, and, and none of us were medical, <laughs> medically trained. Right. So we saw you didn't have to be a doctor or a nurse to have a huge impact. And, uh, but the thing about my grandma, she had 12 kids, she had 50 grandkids and 51 greats. So she had a lot of people to draw on. And Lori and I thought, Hey, you know, what do other families do that want the same thing? Uh, but have only a few kids. So we organized a group of caregivers in Omaha and started doing for others what my family did for my grandmother and called it home instead. I love that. So that's how we got started in the home care business. So so that's obviously the, the direction was home care. But for you, with that background in franchising, when you went down this path, did you did you have the plan all along to go into creating a franchise system or, or did that come later for you? How did that work? No, I went into the uh, venture knowing that if it worked in Omaha, I could deploy everything I knew in fr- about franchising right. to this concept. So that was uh, intentional from the beginning. So knowing that that was the intention, and I love that. So you knew you wanted to create something that could be a franchise system. You found the platform to do it, which was home care. So how did that impact how you grew and developed the business. Cause I can imagine someone says, Hey, I have a great idea for a business or a, or a product or a service. I want to open a business. How does that differ when you approach it from, I want to create a franchise system. Can you walk us through that a little bit? Well, the first thing I did was, um, uh, I, I, I chose home care because I thought that I saw what we did for my grandmother. It was very simple. And I knew I could break it down and script it, so to speak, uh, detail it in the step-by-step step on how to do it. And then it was scalable because it was simple. Um, and uh, and once I saw that that was clear, the first thing we did was uh, we registered the name home instead federally. Uh, and I think that's a, a often overlooked um, uh, uh, thing to do by many at new startups because they want to see if it works first and then they'll register it federally. And that's just a mistake because a lot of times the catchy name will be landed on and then it's a success in the local market. Then they go to franchise it and they do the exploration and they chose a name that's already taken in maybe several other places around the country. Right. Gotcha. Okay. So then they'd have to unwind that, rename it and start kind of over with the brand. Okay. So looking back, can you, 
And that's obviously one challenge. But looking back, what do you think was the biggest challenge for you in building the home and said brand in those formative years when you first started out? Well, the biggest challenge is there was nothing there. <laughs> there was no, uh, there wasn't an industry. In fact, the big wake up call um, when I uh, I left my I left my job. I had a wife and three kids, and and uh, I then went to look for insurance for this kind of a business. There was no SIC code for it. I mean, the insurance industry was perplexed. Right. Uh, they had they had nothing that would lead them, and uh, we couldn't be categorized into any business industry category. A lot of uh, the closest thing was home health care, which is medical oriented. Right. And we were non medical, so. That was scary, and, and uh, fortunately, I found a, a one um, re, uh, insurance agent who was very, uh, very much understood our challenge. They went through it with their own family, and uh, so she worked hard to cobble me something together <laughs> that resembled an insurance policy. Uh, and it was insurance, but I truly thank God we had no claims in the first couple of years. <laughs> um, right. But the, but with each and every franchise we brought to this same company, and it was Hartford, by the way, and uh, our insurance agent, she uh, convinced Hartford to look at this differently and actually tailor a specific insurance program for these kind of businesses because I just brought like 20 franchises to them. And, uh, so that was, that was a scary moment because when she looked at me and she says, Paul, I've got nothing that applies to your business. And I said, it's just not an option. I already quit my job. You have to find something. Right. Absolutely. So, so not, not only did you, know, not only did you revolutionize the home care industry, but in a way you revolutionized the insurance industry for home care because of what you were doing. Well, they certainly recognized our growth, uh, and they recognized, uh, that, you know, this is a mega trend. That was the other thing that I saw early on that, you know, if you, I read the book uh, by Ken Dykewald, Age Wave, and it, it, he wrote in the 80s, and I said, this is a mega trend for sure. Just like Mary Maids was a mega trend for working women. That company right. got started in the 70s, followed that working women trend. This one I saw is one we could uh, follow the aging trend. But it was so cottage such a cottage industry it was gray market it was subterranean so to speak mm -hmm. uh so those created a lot of challenges another challenge was people families just assumed government was going to pay for senior care right so the so the i would say the the sale cycle was a long time it was I'd meet with people and I'd tell them that what we did and here's some which we charged and that would be private pay. And they'd say, oh, wait, no government pays for this. And I would say, well, only in circum circumstances where there, uh, you, you know, the seniors' um, assets had been spent down. Uh, but until that point, you know, it's just private pay. And they'd say, well, no, we'll get back to you. And the six months later after they explored and exhausted everything that they looked at, they'd come back and say, I guess you're right. So let's get started. <laughs> So really, you would say the, the, the biggest challenges up front were, number one, it was a new industry. So you were really paving 
the, the path for all other home care companies to follow. And then some of the regulatory stuff that came with it is those are the biggest challenges that you saw. Anything else? Yes. Well, and then there's a lot of, uh, uh, there's a lot of ambiguity in labor law when it came to uh, senior care. So uh, that was challenging to navigate. <clears throat> and uh, uh, so there, uh, that and, I think those are the, the biggest ones. That makes sense. Well, we're going to keep talking here to Paul Hogan, again, the uh, founder of Home Instead Senior Care, uh, instructor at the University of Nebraska in entrepreneurship. We're going to continue more with him right after this. This is Building the Brand. I'm Bert Koppel. There's no better place to play hard than at Canteen Golf and Billiards. Featuring eight Trackman golf simulators, six champion nine-foot pool tables showcasing the IQ Billiards augmented reality playing system, and an affordable gourmet hot dog and pizza buffet. All in a space that pays homage and tribute to the United States Armed Forces. So grab your buddies and girlfriends and come on down for a round of golf, join a billiards tournament, or sign up for a golf league and grab some great food and drinks. Check it out. Go to canteengolf.com to learn more. Canteen Golf and Billiards. Turn that hard work into some well-deserved play. The Clinton Township, Michigan location opens November of 2023. We are talking with Paul Hogan, the founder of Home Instead Senior Care out of Omaha, Nebraska, grew a, uh, a single a single location into a multi-international brand, the largest home care company in the world. Paul, thanks so much for joining us. One question that a lot of uh, new business owners face is this. How do you know when it's time to pay yourself? A lot of business owners don't know that. What was it like for you? Obviously, you had quit your job. You put everything on the line. When do you pay yourself and when do you reinvest in the business when you're starting out a new business? What do you recommend on that? Well, first great psychological moment in startup businesses when you break even. And yeah. when I mean break even, it's just on operations, not necessarily when you pay yourself, but you've covered all your costs. Uh, and for the, for the first two years, um, well, for us, it happened in our fourth month. Uh, but for many businesses, it takes a little longer, of course. Uh, so, but we only took money when we needed it. We started home instead with $18,000 in cash to our name and then a $21,000, uh, uh, line of credit on the equity in our home. Wow. And, uh, I'm, um, I'm very, uh, blessed to say that we never touched that credit line. Wow, that's awesome! Uh, and so, yeah, so that's and that's the nice thing about a service business. You don't have a lot in capital costs. You don't have a lot in inventory. Uh, it's essentially the time of people. So, um, and it wasn't until my our third year that I put actually a, a scheduled, so to speak, weekly paycheck into the budget. Do you remember, Paul, what your what your first paycheck was way back then? Uh, all I know is, um, 
all I can really remember real clear is we started in June and December, we were down to our last $2,000 mm. had uh wife, three kids. Uh, and, uh, that was very nervous moment. Uh, and so, but that January, that very next month, things turned around, mm. uh, and we started to, uh, have money left over, uh, in the early, so that'd be about our eighth or ninth month. We had started having money left over, and I started taking a few hundred bucks a week. Oh, that's great! I don't. I just love that story, Paul. That that's that was your humble beginning to what ended up being a, 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 a I guess what would be a, a billion dollar business, right? Of part of a billion dollar industry, which is just fantastic. What it is today, so that's just that's just so exciting to hear that. That there's so many business owners yeah. out there who are you know they're at that level where they're starting. What what was the motive? And this isn't one of our questions, but what was the motivation for you? to keep going, not knowing that what Holman said was going to become, but knowing where you were. Well, I, I just knew the value that families and our clients, we had a, at that point, again, it was like December, we had about 12 clients and um, the, just the, the appreciation these families and these clients had for what we were doing in our care and the love they had for their caregivers and I just knew they were talking about us out there. I knew they were right. telling their friends. And I just knew that it, we just had to, um, we just had to give it more time and keep with it. Uh, it was tough though. It's like that December time frame, two thousand bucks left. It's that that feels like buyer's remorse stepped <laughs> in, kind of like <laughs> right, it, it, or 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 it feels like, um, uh, you know, you know, what did I? You start questioning yourself. Uh, so I felt that the best medicine for that was to talk to our clients mm. and our caregivers. I love that because that just recentered you, right? It, re, it, re, it puts you back mm -hmm. in the perspective of the purpose of why you started on the journey to begin with. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So, Paul, when, when did you sell your first franchise? So you opened how, – how long afterwards was your first franchise sold? Our first franchise was sold at a, just over the one-year mark. We started June 1st and it was late June the next year we sold our first, but, uh, essentially we had it, we had it, uh, sold earlier than that. Uh, you know, kind of emotionally, it was my wife's uncle who knew about what we were doing. Uh, he was located in Lincoln, Nebraska and he, you know, his sister, which is my mother-in-law, uh, was my office assistant. Uh, and you know, they would chat and he learned, we had a break even moment and we had a toasted with some ice water and, and she told her brother and he called and said, Hey, I just really love what you're doing there. No, I know, you know, franchising cause he, he's known me for so long. Right. And, and, uh, I want to do what you're doing in Lincoln here. Will you sell me a franchise? And I'm like, well, you know, just, uh, let, I do want to talk to you about that, but boy, we just broke even, so just hang on. Let us, <laughs> let's make sure this works, right? Before before we do that, and it's it's at that point I started to uh, formalize. See everything I did, and this is important to Frank. Everything I did, I checklist. Mm. I mean, even how you answer the phone to right. uh, take a, a call from a potential caregiver or a potential. I mean, I checklist everything, and that that was my outline for my operations manual. So I had a lot of that started already. Uh, and so 
So I built an operations manual between that seventh month and 12th month. And I also worked on the universal uh, uniform franchise offering circular. Some of the documentation you need to actually sell a franchise. Right. Uh, and, and so, um, and then, so that was our first franchise. We were ready. We had our operations manual done. We had our uh, uh, disclosure statement done, which is the uniform offering, uh, uniform franchise offering circular. That was all ready to go, and we sold that franchise uh, in June. So, when to talk when you talk about having the franchise system ready to go, like what do you really want to have laid out? You know, for possible franchisees to see and know before you offered the brand. So obviously your first one, it was somebody you knew, right? It was, uh, it mm-hmm. was in close proximity, but for someone who doesn't know Paul Hogan from, you know, Jim next door, what, what is important to have ready to go when you're ready to start franchising? What needs to be laid out there so people can kind of get a feel for what it is you're offering? What do you think is the most important things you need to have in place? Well, Bert, I think it really is the same, whether you know them or not. <laughs> Okay. Maybe more important if it's your family member, you want to make sure it works. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, first of all, uh, is, is you, you need to have a going profitable operation. Right. I've been approached many times by people who have more of a sexy concept. And when you drill down to how's your prototype working, mm. it's not really working yet. So, you, so I, caution them, I tell them it's just not a good idea to sell a franchise unless you have one prototype, your prototype operation is successful, right. profitable. Then a clear explanation of what, um, how the unit economics work. So, uh, of, of what you're selling. Like, so I was very, I clearly under, helped understand for every hour of caregiving service, we have this kind of a gross margin. And out of that, this is where the uh, the, the overheads are covered. And at a certain volume level, you have some left over after out of that gross margin. Right. After the overheads are covered. Then you want to have a, so a clear explanation of that. Uh, operations manual and, uh, and basically a, a service support attitude mm-hmm. uh, and commitment. Uh, I think what I used, what I found was very helpful to people is I let them talk to a client. Right. I let, let them talk to a caregiver or meet a caregiver. Um, certainly, you want a federally registered trademark, mm. one that you can protect. Because if you sell a franchise in a market where there's somebody else that has your name, you got some big problems. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and then. Um, also, some sources for the for their needs. Like, I was able to say, "Hey, here's where I got an insurance package from," and they're talking to everybody that's interested in home insurance. There's a source for your insurance. Mm-hmm. Here's a source for your specialty items, like you know, like hats, shirts. Back in the day, it was printed materials, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, uh, and uh, computer software. Just all the things that you are already using that they would deploy in their business. Uh, and um, uh, that will save them time and money. 
That's good. That's really good. I mean, so, you know, Paul, for someone out there like me now, even in this situation, looking to build a brand from scratch, what would be some of the advice you would give or what's something that I would need to know? Now, obviously I don't talk, I mean, not the detail things, but from you personally to someone else who's looking to do this, what, what advice would you give somebody? Well, I say, I would say, see the last two minutes, <laughs> but, uh, just that list, have those things ready. Right. Uh, uh, and just be prepared. It takes a long time before your service fee or your royalty fee covers your operations. It took us five years before um, our royalty fees covered our costs of everything we do for the franchise owners. Wow. So, so you ask, well, how are you making it work if the service fee, royalty fee doesn't cover that? Well, you're selling franchises. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's what covers the cost. And it wasn't until the fifth year I thought, oh, my gosh, if we don't sell a franchise this month, we're still okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so it takes longer than you think. The other thing is uh, – I see a big mistake. We sold our first franchise for $5,000. Mm-hmm. Today, it's maybe north of $60,000. Right. Um, uh, I would say, uh, well, what we did was we just charged enough for the initial first five, five franchises, just enough to cover our cost right. on getting them off the ground. Okay. Training them, supporting them, doing field visits, uh, and so on. Uh, and that's how we priced it. And then we, we, we stepped it up to 7,500 for the next, you know, 30 or 40. Right. Then the next year we went up by another 2,500. So we worked our way up. So many brands that are coming out of the ground have, I don't know, they just, they try to charge the initial franchise fees that other successful franchise companies have. Gotcha. They really haven't proven themselves yet. Right. That makes sense. So really it's almost like it's reverse engineering. It's figuring out what is it going to take for those field visits, the initial startup cost, and really just like you just said, try to cover your cost with those initial franchise fees. Don't necessarily shoot for the moon right out of the gate. Right. And, um, uh, and I would also recommend not just putting all, let's say, uh, I would sell five franchises. We sold five franchises very right out of the gate for very low $5,000 fee. Right. If you only sell one and for some reason that one doesn't work, then, you know, you don't, <laughs> you don't have anything to point to as a success. Gotcha. Absolutely. Because we, uh, if we relied on our first one, I know it wouldn't have worked out as well. That first one ended up uh, not doing so well, but they sold it to someone who <laughs> grew it by, oh, uh, I can't even tell you, incredible amount. Right. But it was all about having a person that was willing to work quite a bit harder, a lot harder than the first one. That's great advice. So, yeah. 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 The, um, Paul, do you think that looking back on it now, do, uh, do, 
when people were coming to you saying, hey, we want to we want to start a franchise, we want to do this. Were you trying to pace it or was it just, hey, when they showed up, we were ready to we were ready to have them sign on the dotted line? Or what was your initial approach for those first five to ten that you did? Yeah, we went where they were. I mean, we we grew a lot from referral too. Right. Uh, in the first, you know, for the first 15 or 20 franchises, since I had come from Mary Maids and I'd been there a long time, I had a lot of relationships in that business and they knew that I left, uh, heard that I left, they'd pay, they'd call and say, what are you doing? And I would tell them. And, and over the first few years, we had 10 or 12 of those former franchise owners in Mary Maids uh, either add a home instead to their portfolio or sell their Marymaids and buy a home instead. Um, so uh, uh, that's, you know, that's how we, that's, that was the advantage of having come from a, a service industry and having come right. from franchising. Absolutely. But we went to them. Our first one was in Lincoln, Nebraska. Our second was Kansas City. Our third was Believe it or not, Daytona Beach, Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we went to Des Moines and Denver. So, uh, and then very early on, we were in California, maybe our 10th or 11th franchise. Gotcha. That's great. Well, we're going to continue the conversation with Paul Hogan, the founder of Home Instead Senior Care out of Omaha, Nebraska. We'll be back with him in just a minute. This is Building the Brand. Imagine being able to print on your walls, and not just any wall, but every wall, drywall, cinder block, wood, tile, glass, old or new paint, plaster, brick, metal, plastic and laminate, stone wallpaper, even tile, literally any wall. And this isn't some cheap rub away paint. This is ink infused UV full color, instantly curing directly onto your wall. It's a permanent tattoo of your image, brand, marketing or art. And not just on a vertical surface, but we're talking small images to huge images, murals that can stand up to 13 feet tall and can stretch as wide as the eye can see. Our ink infusion process meets all guidelines for food processing and healthcare needs. There's no edge or removable surface. You can literally spray and clean our ink because it becomes part of your wall. So the possibilities are endless. The time to get inspired is now. Basement walls? Inkspired. Large indoor murals for your company? Inkspired. Company logos and event announcements? Inkspired. Enlarging small originals onto a big space? Get Inkspired. Come on, let us print directly onto your walls. Visit www.wallprintpros.com to see demos and what we can do. Then reach out and get your project started. That website is wallprintpros.com. That's wallprintpros.com. Mention this podcast, Building the Brand, to receive 10% off your first quote. We are continuing our conversation with Paul Hogan, the founder of Home Instead Senior Care out of Omaha, Nebraska, started off with one idea, caring for his uh, his family member, and then it grows into a huge franchise network spanning at the time, 16 countries, the largest home care company in the world. Paul, thanks again for being with us and talking about branding. A couple more questions for you. 
And these really just go to the general thoughts and feelings, especially for those who are tuning in that are saying, look, I want to build a brand. I want to start a business with the concept of turning it into a brand. What are the biggest pitfalls that you can think of to actual brand building? Well, I guess it all starts with wanting to build a business. Mm. Um, and I suppose you can inter- make that interchangeable brand business. Uh, and, you know, the best businesses that they, they solve a problem. Right. So try to identify what problem you're trying to solve. Uh, the I would say another one is don't get too caught up in what you think is a great name. Uh, and, you know, I know that I, I, I brainstormed for a couple of years before I landed on the, the name home instead. And I just woke up on a 5 a.m. one morning, just it was clear as a bell in my head after I had the list started, the 30 or 40 names on there. And, and I think it was God planting that right in my brain, uh, that it was home instead. And I thought, that's it. I sat up and I said, that's it. That's the decision. I love it. And, so I felt very, very emotional about that, uh, uh, that brand. But as I was developing my first brochure, a mentor of mine who was a marketing executive was helping me out. And he said, Paul, you have to say, you have to tell people more about what it is you do. Mm. Uh, and so he convinced me to add senior care. So it became home instead senior care. And I'm so glad I did that. Right. Uh, and it wasn't only until 25 years later, after you had a brand, that you could tighten it up a little bit. So now we go by just home instead. Right. Absolutely. That's great. And I, like you said, I, I think it's important, and maybe you can elaborate on this, but sometimes we get caught up in our own head, right? Our own passion takes over the decision-making process. How important was it for you to have other people around you to help you f- you know, flush out those ideas to make sure that you were staying on track with decisions you were making. Saved me a lot of time. I tell you, I, I can't tell you how, uh, how much I got out of listening. Uh, Mm. I think oftentimes people hear the word entrepreneur, uh, and it's this person who overcome all the odds and all this. And, and, uh, you know, they sort of, they took the bull by the horns and, 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 uh, and, but I think the most, the most successful people I've encountered are people who they did all that, but they did a lot of collaboration. They did a lot of listening. They had great people around them that had experience. Uh, they, they hired people that were better than them at certain things, uh, that, and, and so, that's that takes some humility. Now you have right. to have a strong, you have to have a strong fortitude uh, and a lot of resilience. Uh, but it doesn't say that you have to have close, you know, close-mindedness. Uh, has served more people uh, well than than the opposite. So keep an open mind. Surround yourself with good people really seriously take their input, uh, uh, you know, seriously and, uh, and don't be so tied up in your own, you know, emotional thoughts. 
I think that's that's fantastic. And I know you know I've been fortunate enough to have been part of uh, the Home Instead brand for gosh, going on eighteen years now. And I remember some of the initial training that was in place that we would go through as new owners. Uh, back in the day, we we called it top grading, but it was it was about really trying to understand the people you were hiring, where they were coming from, and knowing that past performance would typically dictate future results. And mm-hmm. I remember going through that training with Home Instead, and what they would always say is what you just said, Paul, which just tells you that it it still it still resounds, you know, a, a quarter a quarter of a century later, to hire people yeah. that are better than you. Um, because there's no point in having four Pauls or four Burt's in the room. We need people who are better than us to cover our weaknesses and vice versa. So I love that advice. It's fantastic. Yeah. That's great. So Paul, what, what opportunities, I mean, if you had a crystal ball in front of you now, you're, you're, you, you've, you've been fortunate enough where, uh, you and your amazing wife were able to, to, to sell home instead. And, and now you're starting the next chapter of your life. But if you had to go back in and, and do something different now, what, what opportunities are you seeing out there in the marketplace? Where do you see us going and what trends have you been able to pay attention to that are intriguing to you? Well, lots there. Uh, what first comes to mind is this month's uh, edition of Forbes magazine. Uh, and you have uh, uh, on the front cover, it's uh, uh, the founder of uh, the uh, chip maker, Lisa Sue in AMD. She's over in, uh, I believe it's uh, South Korea. Mm-hmm. Basically she's the leader. They're the leading. In the, I mean, it, right. This is in five years, you will see AI, artificial intelligence, in every single product. Right. And uh, so it basically boils down to automation, mm. ways to get things done, you know, with as few of human touches as possible. Uh, and this is really driven. We saw it in Home Instead for uh, – um, you know, the cost of labor, right? The scarce, the scarcity of labor. Um, and the costs get so high mm-hmm. that you have to, uh, achieve efficiencies in getting things done. Uh, and it's hard to swallow sometimes, but it's cheaper. It's faster. Uh, it's, it's, it's what, preserves some space in the bottom line. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, I would say the last, you know, five years of home said that we, we were, uh, I mean, we, we would grow by substantial on the top line and nothing would hit the bottom line. Because right. We right. had to keep adding, had, had to keep adding people to get the jobs done mm-hmm. and to get what we were doing. So it's this idea of automation. It's about preserving human capital, your people, preserving them and maximizing their times that do the things that stand out, the things that delight, uh, the customer. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so those are the, those are the things I think that are going to be driving the biggest opportunities going forward. Um, you know, in most industries. That's really good. You know, looking at that automation and artificial intelligence, uh, 
What would you say to someone who has a desire, Paul, to to get into some type of business, but they don't have expertise in that field? Would you even advise them to go that route? Would you say, look, you got to go take some classes first or go take a job to learn it? Or Because again, you know, for example, I don't know anything about electric cars, but we see this huge push to go into the electric car uh, industry with batteries and charging stations. I wouldn't even know where to begin there, but I have to imagine that there's going to be a lot of money in that marketplace. I mean, what would you say to someone who says, I want to try to go into this field, but they don't have a lot of experience there? What, what guidance would you give them? Well, I guess from my own experience, I didn't let the apple fall too far from the tree. Um, <laughs> That's good. I mean, Mary Maids was a in-home service done by part-time workers. Um, and it, we chose to expand it through franchising. I had those kind of experiences. I, I had that kind of experience. And um, the one thing I saw, though, that w- gave me a clue was in Mary Maids, our least satisfied clients were seniors. Mm. Because uh, the professional home cleaning systems, services, there were many of them, uh, they're very organized. Like we had 22 steps to a bathroom. We started from the back, top, worked out, uh, downward, toward the door and out. Right. We had color-coded products and mm-hmm. color-coded rags. So it was all about speed. We paid our cleaning people a percentage of the job. So the faster they got through the job, the more they were making per hour. Right. And seniors would... <laughs> They they couldn't take that because they grew their whole life. It took them six hours on a Saturday to clean the house. And you can't tell me these two are going to come through here and clean it in an hour and 15 minutes and charge me $60. <laughs> right. So that wasn't working for that cohort. Mm. But uh, I know a big part of what we were doing for my grandmother for the years, we were keeping helping her, her home stay clean, but she didn't need the whole place cleaned every time. Right. She just didn't use it that like a family would use it. So right. there was a there was a there was an opening in that existing industry that gave me a clue to the next one. It's it's uh so we did light housekeeping instead of full house cleaning. Sure. Uh and then a variety of other things. So I would say it's it's not necessarily new industries. But it's sort of a, a a derivation of an existing industry that you may a lot you know may you, you may know a lot about it, uh, and you can see the change happening in that industry, which might uh, uh, open a door. I know there's a lot of technology firms that are going after the the medical space mm-hmm. because there's there just has not been a lot of uh, uh, automation right? of the things that doctor's offices do, that hospitals do. And it's, it's still very analog and there's a lot of automation that can be done, like just all the things that it takes and reminders and prompts to get to your, to get to your, um, uh, your co- whatever, whatever outpatient service that you've signed up for that sure. you're scheduled to make. Uh, colonoscopy is one that, yep. you know, if, if you don't prepare right for that, that uh, visit, 
they can't do the visit. They mm-hmm. can't do the service because you sure. didn't prepare right. Yep. And you know, so much inefficiency in that particular example uh, and how much lost money it is for the hospital because they set the time aside. And uh, so just basic technology setups, reminders, and so on for something like that. And that you could extrapolate example across many things. Absolutely. I love that. Do what you can with what you have, where you're at. Like you said, don't let the, don't chase the apples falling off of other trees. Stick with the area where you're, you have the expertise. That's really good. Well, we're going to wrap it up with Paul here in just a minute. Uh, We're going to finish up with our podcast this week. This is building the brand. I don't know about you, but for years, I spent hours a month in networking groups. I'm sure you have too, right? Feeling forced to give referrals and set up blind date meetings with other business owners. Man, networking is hard. You know what's not? Fellowship. Just getting together with other business owners who desire to grow their businesses while developing friendships and meaningful relationships that could turn into additional business. That's why I started the Business Faith Fellowship. We're a group of owners who get together on the first Saturday of each month. We gather to learn something new from an industry expert, and then we fellowship together to share ideas and develop relationships, and then we pray for each other. Yes, I said pray. Because when you are a person of faith, I mean, you have an obligation to seek God's wisdom and direction, not just for your personal life, but for your business as well. So maybe this sounds like a better networking group for you. So join us for the Business Faith Fellowship. It's the first Saturday of each month. You can check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash businessfaithfellowship. Business Faith Fellowship. It's networking with a higher purpose. Uh, So much thanks to Paul Hogan, just someone I've looked up to uh, for the last 20 years of my life, just watching what he's been able to do and developing the Home Instead Senior Care brand. And quite frankly, Paul, I I think you and I had a conversation a couple years ago where I was able to tell you face to face the huge impact and difference that you and your wife, Lori, have had just on my life because it created opportunities for me as a Home Instead business owner to not only change the trajectory of my life, but the legacy I can leave behind for my children. And it's just the entire direction of family. And I know that without a doubt, um, at the end of the day, we all know that business owners want to develop businesses to put forth a good product and a good service. But for you, I just wonder if you could close this out today talking about the impact and what that means for you when you're able to grow a business model and see the difference it makes in people's lives not just from a client perspective, but from those who have purchased franchises from you and, and, and what it's been able to do for them. Can you just talk about that a little bit, Paul? Yeah, I, I think, first of all, thank you. That's uh, always been uh, one of the greatest pleasures we've ever had in Home Instead. That is just attracting uh, people like you, Bert, who, who come to this and they have that win-win mentality. That's the mentality we always attract. We were always we always approach the business in a long term with a long term perspective. Like we're in this business for a long time. This isn't a this isn't something we want to be in for five years and flip it. So when you have when you start with that, it means that uh, you have a a win win attitude, and that's kind of where we were coming from 
we knew that if our franchise owners, you and all the other great people that joined Homestead, became successful, then we would be successful. Right. Uh, and that's that's at the heart of any good franchise organization. Uh, so it was one of the greatest um, blessings of our life to uh, help so many people build successful businesses. And, and then uh, just as importantly is to have great relationships with those that put a big stake in home instead, like you. That's awesome, Paul. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and, and sharing your wisdom and, and your input. And again, if you are in the Omaha, Nebraska area and you have a chance to take a, a class on entrepreneurship uh, at the University of Nebraska, we encourage you to do that. And maybe you'll get Paul Hogan as one of your teachers, which is just be such a pleasure to be able to work with him. So, Paul, thanks for joining us today. Uh, a, a quick update on Canteen Golf and Billiards. Uh, we had the opportunity today uh, one phone call came in to start doing uh, television interviews uh, based on our establishment in Clinton Township. And then we got another phone call and then a producer called from another one. And this is what happens when you begin to put good momentum to a business concept and model. But had I not been prepared, had we not had the website up and the social media working, if I didn't know what my pitch was going to be to say in my 30 seconds on TV, it would have been a missed opportunity. So I encourage you, if you haven't started that website yet, or if you haven't secured that domain, if you haven't started taking the steps to start publicly putting your name out there, you need to start doing that. And you have to start doing it now because you don't want to miss an opportunity when it presents itself. Whether you're starting off with a small company in Omaha, Nebraska, taking care of a loved one, or you're having the opportunity to promote a huge brand, you can do it, but it takes hard work and determination. We encourage you, put one foot in front of the other. Thank you for tuning in to Building the Brand. All content and audio on this podcast is protected and may not be used or reproduced without the express written consent of the producer. Bert Koppel is a John Maxwell certified business coach, teacher, and speaker. He is also the owner and founder of Canteen Golf and Billiards and Inspired Wallprint Pros. Learn more about the Canteen Golf concept at www.canteengolf.com or about Inspired at wallprintpros.com. You can reach Bert at bertkoppel at canteengolf.com. Thank you for tuning into this podcast. Please like and follow this podcast and share and listen to future episodes of Building the Brand.